The following audio drama is rated PG for pretty good. You should experience lots of explosions with no body parts and a couple of swears. Parents should be ready to cover their ears. This is Lucas Audio Production, where entertainment is always free. Broken Sea Audio presents Doctor Who Behind the Sofa. Hi, this is Stevie K. Farnaby, aka Skiffle, producer and director for Broken Seas Doctor Who. I'm here aboard the TARDIS with uh, Joshua M. Blanc. Is it is it Blanc or Blanc? Blanc. Blanc. Joshua yep. M. Blanc, aka the Manitou. Welcome aboard the TARDIS, Josh. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. Good to be aboard. <laughs> it's good to have you aboard. <laughs> Um, Josh is basically um, one of my longest standing and closest of friends. Um, he's somewhat of a creative genius as well. Um, multiple sort of talents in different sort of artistic areas. Um, in fact, um, Josh does uh, a lot of photography, particularly macro photography. He's a writer, a musician. <laughs> the list just goes on and on and on. <laughs> You're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. You are. You know. <laughs> um, so, uh, in in your humble estimation, who is the Manitou apart from the introduction I've just given you? Well, um, he's kind of drawn to um, entropy, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, as far as creative projects, um, with the photography and the uh, music especially. Uh, so, you know, I look for inspiration in uh, the interaction of nature and the uh, d- destruction of modern things like cars and buildings and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of ties in with the music I've done with this. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, just, just for our listeners... Um understanding anyway Josh is actually um, a long time sort of electronic musician and um, he did the soundtrack for the Mechalution episode um, of season 3 and uh, it was quite an interesting story as well behind you know how he got (laughs) behind (laughs) how he came to do the the soundtrack for us and uh, basically what it was was um, Josh is, without a doubt, one of the most sort of generous people I've ever known. Anyway, um, if, if you if if you ask Josh for a favour, you will invariably get back way more than you ever asked for. <laughs> um, and so, basically, what happened was um, Josh actually. Um, so, oops, that was my chest <laughs> creaking there. <laughs> are people invading the TARDIS? <laughs> they are indeed, yeah. They've actually just knocked over the car seat, <laughs> automobile oops. seat for our friends in the US. 
so basically, what it was was um, I, I wanted quite a unique sort of sound for Mechalution because we have all of these like robots. Uh, you know, larger robots coming in, the raptor robots coming in and sort of, you know, mangling up smaller robots and stuff like that. And so when I read the script for Mechalution, I kind of always envisioned Josh's music as sitting really, really well with that episode, um, particularly in respect of the fact that um, the, the electronic music that Josh does um, encompasses something called circuit bending. Um, which is quite a unique uh, and, and very, very different sort of a sound. Um, would you like to fill the listeners in on, on what exactly circuit bending is, Josh? Sure. Um, it's basically the creative short-circuiting of, um, say, a kid's toy, like, uh, for instance, the Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. Right. Uh, that's one of the more popular uh, items that are bent uh, these days because it's, uh, it's got lots of circuitry inside there and um, a very uh, involved um, CPU with lots of different samples, voice samples because um, it speaks obviously <laughs> <laughs> and so you, um, you take it apart, like just open the case and um, you connect two points on the circuit board that weren't connected before and you get surprising results um, you could have it speaking like it, it speaks English generally or um, French if you've got the French version <laughs> and um, you can make it sound like an alien like alien gibberish and um, there's also a pitch resistor in there um, which uh, a lot of the older in- uh, toys have um, mm-hmm. which you can then replace that with a variable resistor like a, a knob that you can turn which pitches it down so that it, it, it goes very deep and sounds more robotic uh, so, armed with this device, <laughs> I, I record a whole bunch of weird sounds, and um, I can then chop those up and uh, sequence and play them as if they were uh, instruments in their own right. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it produces the most incredible results. Um, I mean, you know, it, to put what Josh has just said for the non-technically minded, <laughs> sort of almost in, <laughs> almost in layman's terms, um, what Josh does is he takes sort of um, electronic children's toys, um, rips the guts out of them, does all sorts <laughs> of weird and wonderful things with the electronics, and, and it produces the most incredibly strange sounds, which was something that I thought would fit beautifully with the Mechalution episode. And um, so what I did was um, I sort of approached Josh and I said to him, uh, would you mind if I used some of your existing sort of electronic music on this episode of Doctor Who? You know, because I think it would fit really well with the episode. Now, Josh, being a a really big Whovian as well, um, came back and actually said, well, you know what? I've actually, you know, I'd quite like to, um, you know, I'd quite like to write a soundtrack um, f- for a Doctor Who episode, and so I, th- I think if memory if memory serves, um, Josh said to me at one point, um, you know, can, can you give me just a basic synopsis of the episode? And I said, well, uh, and, and I kind of replied back with, well, I can do you better than that. I'll give you the script, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then the music started coming back, and I was just like, 
whoa, <laughs> where did this come from? <laughs> and I, I remember sending on the, the little MP3s Josh was sending me just as sort of rough demos, and I was sending them on to the exec team and uh, the creative team behind Doctor Who, like Mark Kalita and Paul Mannering, and, and and they were coming back and they were going, my God, this is fantastic. You know, I mean, we've got like, um, it, it's got sort of like a real modern-day twist to it. But it also has sort of elements of the old sort of radiophonic workshop um, type uh, sort of vibe to the to, to the soundtrack as well, and it, it sort of en- encapsulates sort of the best of both worlds. Um, obviously, with this real sort of unique sort of circuit bent um, vibe on it as well, you know, it's it just really bizarre. And, and, and it, it, in all honesty, um, I've been producing audio drama now for four and a half years, something like that. And I can't ever remember um, producing an audio drama episode where the soundtrack for that episode integrated so seamlessly and so perfectly with the actual plot of the story. <laughs> it was it was just incredibly well done, Josh. You know, I mean, really, really well put together. And certainly our fans of also responded particularly well to that. It's been one of our most popular episodes. Um, certainly, oh, that's great. Certainly at Broken Sea, and I actually think that, you know, the soundtrack to an episode is part of the, the whole soundscape. I mean, when I'm a produ- you know, as a producer, I tend to use music as well to build up uh, certain elements of a scene. You know, you can mm-hmm. add music to add drama, you can add music to, to bring out comedic elements or action sequences... Uh, and such like and um, I can't ever like I said I can't ever remember producing an audio drama episode where my musical choices sort of um, integrated so well with the plot of that particular episode Um, so I mean how did you actually approach the soundtrack then Josh? Well uh, the first uh, first track I did for it um, I, I hadn't actually got the script yet you'd just given me a brief uh, and um, it, it really, I tuned into that somehow <laughs> because it, it, was, it was what I was interested in as a subject, like mm-hmm. the robots and the, the alien planet and the, uh, the production line that keeps churning out all these killer creatures. Um, I just really sort of grabbed that and ran with it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I started with a... With a a particular feeling in mind and uh, the first track I came up with was the one that it's the two the first two transitions in the show the okay. play between the scenes yep um, and uh, so you've got these weird alien robotic growls happening and sort of a a heartbeat type drum beat going and uh, just uh, I went with that and came up with a track and uh waited till I had the script and then uh, I just, I read it and found all this other stuff that um, fired my imagination and away I went. <laughs> and wow, what a, ju- what a result. <laughs> and uh, coincidentally enough, um, our listeners probably won't know this, but um, one of the pieces um, that was that, that's actually on the Let's Build Mecca soundtrack um, is actually called Let's Build Mecca and this was actually done long before uh, Josh and I were sort of working on this particular episode <laughs> as well that's right yeah um, and, and it, it was completely said, unrelated <laughs> it was yeah but um, 
but it fit perfectly in the uh, in the production, especially where you used it. I thought. Yeah, right at the very end, the Let's Build Mecha, yeah. where they were building new um, new Mechalution, I suppose, um, life forms, I guess is, is probably mm. the best best way to describe them, because they are mechanical life forms, as we know. And um, yeah, it, it was <laughs> it was quite a turn up, you know, they actually dug out this, this track that Josh, is, uh, Josh had done for, you know, maybe a, a year or two ago. And you know, it's called let's, <laughs> let's build Mecca. You know, it, it almost seemed like the you know the title track of the album was there already. <laughs> yeah, before we used it. Um, Bit of serendipity there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so what sort of influences came into play uh, on this particular thing? Um, on, on any of the album? Yeah, just just go well, with it. Uh, Let's see. Well, particularly on this one, uh, for sure, the old Doctor Who music. Um, I wanted to come up with some weird uh, sort of radiophonic sounds on my synthesizer, um, which obviously accompanies the uh, the circumvent stuff, because um, I wanted to use the best tools I had at my disposal to uh, to come up with the the sounds and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, um, Delia Derbyshire, um, in particular. Uh, her, one of her tracks influenced uh, Rust and Bones, which is the last track on the, uh, the album, and uh, it plays, I think, in the, about the middle of the the Mechalution episode. Yeah, I think um, it, it actually plays right underneath the scene where the Doctor and Amanda are walking across a field towards the the um, the sort of ghost town type city. And they're walking yeah. across the field and are actually trampling on bones and um, bits of all broken machinery and bits of robots and dead bodies and things. <laughs> and that's where that particular track plays. Yeah, so I wanted to do something different with that. And um, it was a piece of Delia's music, which um, it, it pointed me in the right direction anyway. Not, not so much uh, any of the melody or anything, but just the way she went about it. Yeah, sort of and, uh, inspired by rather than influenced or rather than yeah. copied. Yeah. And actually some of the, well, Let's Build Mecca, the track, mm-hmm. um, that has a lot to do with um, Japanese anime. Right. And because um, there's a lot of uh, robots in their uh, TV shows, <laughs> um, particularly um, like I grew up watching uh, Astro Boy. Right. And... Um, so I've always been a fan of that kind of thing, and uh, so I figured I'd write a track about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one of my favorite um, one of my favorite anime um, type pieces would be um, I, th- I think it was called Akira, if I'm not mistaken, oh, yes. and that was absolutely superb. You know, I mean, it, it, the the type of things you can do with um, anime, anyway, is you know certainly with that that style of animation, anyways, that you can. You can actually do or tell a story that you couldn't tell in sort of live action without an enormous budget. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? uh, and and so I, that that really works for me too. And and that's kind of akin to sort of audio drama as well, um, because um, we, we we can pull off the most amazing things. We can go to all sorts of alien worlds and. Um, I think when I was when I was producing Escape from New York, I blew the head off the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> no, <clears throat> yeah, it's a bit hard to do that in real life. And get away with it. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, 
<laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you certainly couldn't do it on film without an enormous budget. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but in in sort of audio drama, it, it's it's very cheap to sort of put together. You know, if you've got the right sound effects, you can do it. You know, uh, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, I mean, you mentioned uh, Delia Derbyshire there. Um, as, as most people know, um, certainly most people that know me know, um, Delia is basically my um, my hero within the production world. Um, the lady was an absolute legend. Um, she literally broke completely new ground that had never ever been attempted before by anyone anywhere, and she was always pushing the limits back, always. Um, and, and one of the coolest parts about Delia as well was that she was, um, you know, I'm going back to the 60s where uh, I guess like, you know, w- women didn't particularly uh, manage anything at that time, <laughs> you know, and there she is managing the radiophonic workshop, um, which is quite an odd industry as well for a, for a lady to be, and even now that's kind of, sort of you know, e- even in the, I suppose it's not until it wasn't until maybe three or four years ago that uh, we got more and more sort of female producers, um, even in audio drama. And, uh, you know, we're getting a few a few more sort of names coming in there. I'm thinking particularly people like um, Alexa Chipman and Elaine Barrett and Julie Hoverson over at 19 Nocturne who are doing some superb work, you know. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, Delia just, she was just a complete rebel. <laughs> she did whatever she she was going to do, and that was the end of that. And there wasn't a damn person on planet Earth who was going to stop her. <laughs> I think the thing I admire, admire most about her work is her use of everyday objects and making them sound really strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some of the effects that she that, I mean, she sort of kind of pioneered, um, certainly I don't I don't think she pioneered um, the actual uh, ring modulator effect, but she certainly pioneered the sort of extensive usage of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, her work with tape machines and um, oh, yeah. that sort of thing. Wasn't that just the best? I mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm talking, I mean, we can go back now to uh, when Delia was doing the original Doctor Who theme, and, and she put together, I mean, that, that whole theme, she, she actually recorded um, electronic notes on, a, on an oscilloscope or something, and generated sine waves and stuff at different pitches, and created the notes individually, recorded them individually, and then spliced the tape together in the right sequence to make a melody. And she I know, up, I, that just blows my mind. It's just incredible, isn't it? And, and, and she wound up creating the largest tape loop ever attempted by anyone. And in fact, um, I've, I've heard stories from people that were actually there um, at the Radiophonic Workshop when she was doing the theme, and, and apparently the tape loop actually came out of the studio down a corridor, <laughs> and, and they used sort of like a, um, a circular-shaped bin as a tape spool and they wrapped it around the tape spool and then it went back down the corridor again and back into the studio <laughs> I think whoa <laughs> you know? that's creativity <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that, that's creativity on geographical terms <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I mean can you imagine if somebody came you know if somebody new to the radiophonic workshop came in and saw that you know or even worse if they actually tripped over the tape loop 
Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and snapped it or something, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> but there yeah. Goes hours and hours and hours of work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, the mind bubbles. I mean, what an amazing lady. And uh, one of the things I've just found out about as well was that um, when the um, when she left the Radiophonic Workshop, she I know she did a few sort of solo albums and stuff, um, and then she vanished um, with, almost without a trace, and and then obviously turned up you know about ten years later, and you know the, the, the poor lady had passed away. Um, and um, most, but you know, because she was a recluse for that time, most people came to the assumption, or made the assumption anyway, that that she'd stopped working, and in actual fact, she hadn't. And um, when they actually uh, went into uh, Delia's house, um, she had an upstairs um, attic recording studio, and uh, there was like ten years worth of unreleased material <laughs> that they found in that attic. And um, it's actually um, it's it's actually been transferred over to a university, I think, actually in the north of England, not far from where I live now. And it's all been cleaned up, ready for a re-release. Oh, Get sorry, on re- over there, Stevie. <laughs> ready for a release, anyway. Um, not quite a re-release. I mean, a, a release. Um, you know, re- ready to get it released. Uh, sorry, Josh. You said you were saying I didn't catch that. Oh, last uh, thing. sorry. I said, get on over there, Stevie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should do. Yeah, I should get over there and offer to lend an assist with the cleanup. You know, man, would that be a dream gig to me oh, yeah. to, to to get to work on some sort of unreleased Delia Derbyshire material? Wow. And I'm guessing it would be a dream gig for yourself too. <laughs> yeah, it would actually. Um, you know, especially given how much of an inspiration she was to us all. I mean, you know, certainly in audio drama terms, um, I don't think I've, I've, I've ever produced even a single scene of audio drama that, that wasn't inspired by the Radiophonic Workshop <laughs> and the amazing <laughs> work that those people did. Um, so what other inspirations came in then, Josh? Okay, well, um, mostly uh, a lot of new wave musicians, um, the likes of Gary Newman and uh, ah, yes. John Shelgar, uh, and you know that that early period around '79 when I was born, incidentally, <laughs> right? When uh, when music was really interesting and synthesizers were really interesting, and um, sounds was re- were really interesting. Yeah, that that seems to be certainly a period within sort of musical history anyway, where people were um, deliberately trying to find a new way to create music. Uh, yeah, you know, and and you know, desperately trying to find a new sound as well. And I thought it it was yeah. just one of the most creative times in musical history. I thought, um, you know, I mean, there were new pieces of technology being developed. You know, ten a penny, all literally all the time. Every week, there was a new piece of technology that came out that was just yeah. revolutionising the way that music was being made at the time. It was just amazing stuff. I mean, you, you're going back there, you know, to the to the sort of seventies and stuff. You know, I mean, we were talking sort of Jean-Michel Jarre's Oxygen album and Equinox. Yeah, this is um, one of my favourites uh, of all time kind of thing <laughs> oh yes <laughs> I can quite understand why as well <laughs> it, um, yeah, that was a superb album um, I um, I even own actually one of the rhythm machines um, that was used on that album not not the actual one obviously but uh, the same model was that the mini pops yeah that's right 
Except over here they called it the um, the Univox Super Rhythmer 95 <laughs> or Space, Space Rhythmer 95 one or the other it's um, SR95 is the the number <laughs> wow I mean, I mean and that's um, <laughs> I mean even the names of the <laughs> of the equipment there yeah. was cool wasn't it <laughs> and it looks quite funky too it's got all these um, buttons on it and a big knob for the tempo um, oh, adjustment really? and uh, it's about the size of a shoebox <laughs> so not something you um, you can just lug around with you no, absolutely. <laughs> and, um, you know, Josh was mentioning there that one of his all-time favourite albums was actually from the year he was born. Um, I actually still own a synthesizer that was actually made the year I was born. I'm 40 years old now, and so the synthesizer is also 40 years old. And it still runs and it still works perfectly as well. It's just fantastic. Yeah, they, apart from a tiny little... like that anymore. No, they don't, you're right. I mean, apart from a tiny little dent in the top case the top of the case where I assume something's been dropped on it because it's, oh, yeah. it's obviously been gigged you know it's, it's been out and you know it's seen some serious action over the years <laughs> um, but you know apart from that little dent it just functions absolutely perfectly and it is superb <laughs> and I still own it I still use it as well in fact I've actually used it on um, Broken Seas Doctor Who um, to create little sound effect sequences and stuff Right on. So it's been, it's again, it's been used quite a bit, and um, I also own a 1970s uh, Milos Echo Chamber as well, which is flight cased, which I still have, and awesome. I've, I've used that as well on Doctor Who, <laughs> simply because it's of that period, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, where I thought the music, the music and such like was um, at its most creative. So, what are your favourite tracks then on Mechalution? Ah, uh, well, let's see. Do you have any Rust favorites? And Bones, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Rust and Bones is definitely up there as far as uh, something I've not done before. Um, like, I, I, I didn't work with a drum track for a start, and um, it's just, mm-hmm. it, there's just a, a handful of samples comprising the, uh, the sounds and everything, and um, it's very simplistic and ambient and uh, just something different to what I usually do. Yeah, I mean that was that was, uh, to be perfectly honest, I would say that was probably my favourite of the uh, Let's Build Mecha soundtrack was was definitely Rustin Bones, um, simply because of just how odd it sounded. You know, <laughs> it, it really set the tone for that particular scene. It was quite disturbing, you know, and and obvi- obviously it was perfect for the scene because they've got. You, Doctor, the Doctor and Amanda walking across this field of you know dead bodies, basically. Yeah, <laughs> so you needed something like just like that, you know. But uh, that was phenomenal, really, really uh, interesting piece to say the least. And um, uh, shall I let you in on what I used on that? Yeah, go track. for it. Yeah, sure. Um, the there's actually two main samples. The first one is a t- Tibetan prayer bowl. Right. Um, it's about a over oh, nine inch one, I guess, fairly large size, um, and uh, just adjusting the decay and uh, the attack on it, and playing little noises on on the through the computer. Wow! Uh, that that um, created the base okay. of the uh, track, uh, and then the other sample is um, it's a fox, which I recorded through my window. <laughs> what? What an actual fox! 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the Tibetan prayer ball is very sort of Delia Derbyshire-esque. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely the type of thing she would do. Y- you know, one of my friends that was there that knew her, um, he was telling me that uh, there was one day... Um, they got a gig that came through the radiophonic workshop and they actually asked uh, they were asked to create the sound of some crackling fire and so Delia asked my friend for the cellophane wrapper off his cigarette packet and she just crumpled it in front of a microphone (laughs) instant (laughs) fire effect (laughs) you know absolute genius (laughs) and I'm guessing that's kind of you know a very very similar approach you know your Tibetan ball prayer ball did you say yeah well yeah um like well i think it was a track of hers that used a a lampshade a fairly um famous (laughs) track of hers Um, a metal lampshade that she struck and that was what gave me the idea of um going for the prayer ball yeah well i mean even the um even the tardis um the the tardis materialization sound is just a key scrape down a piano wire you know so again you know it's sort of Almost everyday objects. I mean, not many people yeah. have pianos in the houses, but I mean, indeed, yeah. <laughs> but um, but certainly that was quite a quite an unusual way of creating a sound and creating music as well. Um, so, what were the favourites? Yeah, uh, the next one would be uh, production line. Oh yes, the... which is quite a, a full-on techno track, and uh, so that was probably into, uh, influenced a lot by. Um, some Japanese techno that I've been listening to at the time. <laughs> and and the, uh, the other side of that as well is that um, you have a lot of machine noises and, and, and the like yeah. actually building up the rhythm track for that particular um, for that particular piece as well, which again, you know, because they're actually on the assembly line, the production line itself, <laughs> it kind of, again, it just sort of, it just mirrored the actual um, setting for that particular scene. As well, fantastic, and some of the sounds you were creating were, you know, really, you know, fairly unique <laughs> to say yeah, the well, least. Yeah, uh, well, a lot of that is the the speaking spell, like I mentioned earlier, um, which would have been sequenced, and uh, that's how I would have built up the track. Like I'd start with just some weird rhythmic ideas uh-huh. using these samples, and then uh, build the melody on top of that, oh, um, and then. A, there's things like um, on the Clockwork Robots track. Uh, it's not an actual clock, but it's uh, uh, it was a timer box built into a um, an electrical assembly in a building, oh, and it was ticking cool. away, making a quite heavy uh, metallic <laughs> clock sound. Um, so I recorded that, and that's been used in a few tracks on this actually. Yeah, and again, that sort of fits with the whole sort of um, car factory, automobile factory yeah. sort of setting as well, doesn't it? Because again, as you were saying, it, it is actually a recording from a, you know, an industrial, you know, from some industrial premises. So hmm. I mean, again, that that really does fit with it. And uh, yeah, just for the listeners' benefit, one of the things that Josh does is he has a little portable uh, recording device that he takes with him when he goes out and does various jobs. And uh, when he finds interesting sounds, he actually, you know, just records them there and then, you know, because there's always, um, you know, for the future, you know, you're thinking to yourself, I, I, I don't have any ideas of where I'm going to use it right <laughs> now, but, you know, in the future, I might. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah just... you never know what you might want. And um, actually, just recently, I bought myself a um, 
a hydrophone. Right. Which uh, which is for recording underwater sounds. Oh, superb. So I take that out with me, and I've been recording things like uh, little streams and bubbling pools. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And uh, that's a whole new, whole other thing, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like... Sorry. <laughs> no, go on. Go for it. I like to use, um, or I like to collect animal sounds too when I can get them, um, birds and squirrels and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, any sound will do. <laughs> as long as it's unique and different. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, that's kind of one of the things I've really dug about your music over the years, you know. I mean, because, I mean, Josh is, um, again, for the listeners' benefit, uh, Josh has put out about half a dozen albums now of you know the most amazing music um it's superb a big fan of your work as you know um mm, thank you you're very welcome you know <laughs> <laughs> um so anything else you would like to add on uh, on the album oh uh well yeah i could probably um speak about the krumar performer here for a moment which is one other instrument i used okay um on this uh soundtrack you'll hear quite a few uh sort of eerie string sounds yep and um, that's the Krimar performer which again it's an old synthesizer and all it does is basically strings and uh, brass um, synthesized of course they're not they're not <laughs> nothing like the real thing right. <laughs> but they have a unique sound and um, but it has the the, um, the you have the ability to modulate the string sound which is basically change the pitch um, mm-hmm. Dynamically, okay. like as as it's playing, it sort of circulates through uh, a series of pitches while you're playing the the note. Right, and so yeah, sort of similar to a vibrato type effect. Yeah, yeah, vibrato if you have it really fast, but if you slow it right down, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of eerie and um, strange sounding. So that's what I use for some of the the weird uh, string sounds on here. Which again is uh, something that I believe uh, Jean-Michel Jarre used a lot on his earlier albums as well. That's right. Yep. Yeah, um, not that particular model, but uh, the same idea. Yeah. So, what about your favourite moments from the Mechalution episode then? Yes. Um, probably all your little, um, the things you did with the, uh, the the sound effects I gave you, which again came from all my little circuit bent devices and whatnot. Oh, yes. Uh, the way you mixed those together and created all these robot noises and uh, like the one that gets eaten by the, the predator robot. Yeah. And the little clockwork thing that crawls through the tunnels, that was really neat too. Oh, yeah, the bit where he, he sort of winds it up and get, lets it go. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was... Yeah. Those, those were fun to do. I mean, what I did was um, I used some of your sound effects and I mixed them in with uh, other sound effects that I had as well and sort of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, added lots of... Um, you know, I added things like modulators, you know, back to the radiophonic workshop there, you know, <laughs> references. Yep. Um, and I added things like... Um, uh, sort of delays, flanges to give that sort of slight sort of metallic twang to them. Um, I reversed some of them as well and played them oh, yeah. backwards. <laughs> I did all sorts of weird and wonderful things <laughs> with them. <laughs> In fact, I remember um, I remember when you heard the episode for the first time and you were thinking to yourself, it was you, you kind of had a lot of fun sort of trying to pick out which one of the sound, you know, where your sounds were used mm-hmm. and. Um, 
and in some of the occasions you didn't actually recognize your sounds <laughs> that's right yeah it took me a couple of listens to actually get oh hey i recognize that <laughs> i mean I, I suppose from my point of view one of my favorite bits was was that little mechanical uh, clockwork robot the doctor winds it up and it, it goes off you know and i, I loved that because the whole idea of clockwork sort of appeals to me um one of the things that's in a, a, a museum that's very very close to where i live is they have a clockwork swan there that's made entirely out of solid silver and and it stands about two and a half feet tall and and when it moves the, the swan's flapping its wings, it's turning its neck around. The, there's water as well, made out of silver, of course, you know, solid silver. And the mm. water's rippling and stuff underneath it. And it is the most incredible thing to see. And, and there's something very appealing, I think, about, you know, old-fashioned clockworky type things. Yeah. You know? um, so that was one of my favourite scenes. One of my other favourite scenes was the, the whole rusting piece bit, you know, with the Doctor and Amanda walking across and... You know, mm-hmm. the sudden realisation of Amanda when she steps on a, on a I think, a sc- she actually steps on a skull at one point. <laughs> and there's this horrible crunching sound. <laughs> and then there's that sudden realisation of what she's actually just stood on, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was one of my favourite moments. So I kind of like the, um, I like the bigger moments as well. You know, the big raptor robot jumping in and, and tearing apart um, the, the, lip, the smaller robots and... I quite enjoyed the sort of um, the scene, particularly at the end of the, um, you know, with the, the the big raptor robot trying to get into the production line um, mm-hmm. setting, and that, that was kind of fun to do. And you know, Amanda's sort of beating it off with a big, you know, a wrench or something that she's found, <laughs> or a, <laughs> a pipe or something. You know, and that, that was great fun to do. Um, and um, what we mentioned on the last behind the sofa episode. Uh, when I was chatting to Robin, was we we were chatting about um, just how how just how big the differences are in that episode, sort of from an emotional point of view. Um, you know, she she was talking about you know from a voice act- actress's point of view, it was actually quite a difficult episode to perform because there were scenes you know very very sad scenes with the that were you know between you know, like I'm thinking particularly in between sort of like Amanda and the Doctor when they they're actually sat in the control room. Uh, and they're just, you know, the doctor's trying to find out what happened to the people on this planet, and it all comes mm-hmm. down to war and stuff like that. It's a really heavy sort of subject matter, you know. And then there's some sort of fun moments, and then there's some big action sequences. <laughs> and so there was a huge range of different sort of emotional content on that episode, and I think you did really well to bring that out as well with the music, because every, pretty much every scene of that uh, episode had some music sat underneath it, and all of which was yours. <laughs> so, um, I thought you did an amazing job of getting the emotional content of the of the episode as well, and and getting an emotional content and adding emotion into electronic music, particularly, is very very difficult, as well, because electronic music is, by its very nature, very robotic and mechanical and almost sterile, mm. you know, and to to sort of bring emotion into that, as well. It, it, it was uh, quite impressive, um, to say the least. And, and of course, that, that's speaking from another electronic musician's point of view. <laughs> you know, really, really yeah, impressed. Well, really impressed with what you did there. Um, so, I mean, um, 
do you listen to Broken Seas, Doctor Who? Yeah, when I get the uh, the chance to, um, I've got just about all of them on my hard drive, but um, haven't had the chance to catch up on, especially the earlier ones. Right. But I did catch the uh, the last one you did, the uh, two parter. Oh, the Quorum of Time. Yes. Wow. So, so how do you think <laughs> how do you think we compare then with the TV series? Well, it's a, it's a different um, a different feel to it for sure because you've got more. Um, Space, I guess, to um, to work in, like yeah. not having to rely on um, quarries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've got a chance to be more uh, laid back or um, pack more into the stories, I guess, without making them seem jumpy. You know? Y- yeah, I mean, like the, the new series, I find jumps about a lot. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, and. I guess um, one of the other things as well is that we're not sort of tied down to, you know, again, we're not tied down to sort of setting scenes in quarries. Uh, we can yeah, go yeah. <laughs> we, we can go anywhere in the universe, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so we're not tied down there. And, yeah, I mean, we definitely go for the... Um, what we try to do is that... Um, obviously, the classic series of Doctor Who is different in its approach and the way it feels mm. to the modern-day series, the new series. Um, and what we've tried to do with our series at Broken Sea is that we've tried to get the best elements of both worlds together into mm-hmm. one thing. So, yeah, it, it definitely it is de- deliberate that, that we've tried to go for a slightly different approach. Because, again, like I said, what we've tried to do is we've tried to go between you know, all the best elements of the classic series with all the best elements of the modern-day series as well and sort of combine it all together into one big sort of mishmash of, yeah. you know... Hopefully it works. Um, and it's, uh, most of the time, I, believe, I think it does. Um, certainly the fans are telling us it does. So <laughs> you know. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly, yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're sort of listening in. Um, but yeah, uh, um, And again, I... Talk- my, my. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're all right. Uh, again, I mean, I, I completely understand. I mean, I, we've got um, the amount of shows um, that I'm asked to sort of listen to um, by... You know, so I suppose my peers or colleagues within the sort of industry, I guess, you know, and I, I really, I, I just don't get the chance to listen as much as I'd like to, um, because obviously I'm too, I'm, I'm so heavily involved in making this stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my problem too. Um, I just don't generally find the time to listen, to sit down and listen to them. Um, yeah. I'd like to make the time for sure. Right. Because um, I, especially Macalution. The script was great, the act, acting was great, and of course the music was great. <laughs> oh, the music was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, everything about that episode was really neat, so um, I'd like to catch up on the rest of them. I'd like to think the production was good as well. <laughs> yeah, well that goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, Josh, I think it's uh, probably about time that we've, we've both perhaps maybe waffled on a little... <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I know <Yeah>. I have. <laughs> so, um, thanks again for the amazing soundtrack. Thanks for having me. Okay, cheers. Bye bye now. Bye bye.
Manitou presents Let's Build Mecca. Music from and inspired by Broken Sea Audio Productions, Doctor Who Mechalution. free download from www.manitouslair.com Ho there, troll. Huh? Hello? I'm in. up there, Laura. Almost. My hair's caught in the branches. Oh. Ah! Take that! And that! And that, troll! You weren't kidding when you said you were proficient with that club. Is it dead? No, only stunned. What are you doing? Ew, there's fungus growing on it. That's what comes of living in a dark, damp cave, I expect. It doesn't smell very good either. Yes, well, again. It doesn't have any gold. It's probably hidden it in a hollow log or something. Please get down. All right. We'll tie it up and make it tell us where its gold is when it wakes up. Are you quite mad? Tales of Elves and Trolls, The Crystal Goblin, by Joshua Blunk. This all-ages fantasy novel is available direct from the author at www.manitouslayer.com. That is M-A-N-I-T-O-U-S-L-A-I-R dot com. Mm-hmm.